0: This is Reformed Classics, audio productions of classic Reformed works. Today we're continuing our presentation of John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, translated by Henry Beveridge. Book 1, Chapter 17, Use to be Made of the Doctrine of Providence, Sections. 6. A Holy Meditation on Divine Providence. 1. All events happen by the ordination of God. Two, all things contribute to the advantage of the godly. Three, the hearts of men and all their endeavors are in the hand of God. Four, providence watches for the safety of the righteous. And five, God has a special care of his elect. Seven, meditation on providence continued. Six, God, in various ways, curbs and defeats the enemies of the church. And seventh, he overrules all creatures, even Satan himself, for the good of his people. Eight. Meditation on providence continued. Eight. He trains the godly to patience and moderation. Examples? Joseph, Job, and David. Ninthly, he shakes off their lethargy and urges them to repentance. Section nine. Meditation continued. Tenth, the right use of inferior causes explained. Eleventh, when the godly became negligent or imprudent in the discharge of duty, providence reminds them of their fault. Twelfth, it condemns the iniquities of the wicked. Thirteenth, it produces a right consideration of the future, rendering the servants of God prudent, diligent, and active. Fourteenth, it causes them to resign themselves to the wisdom and omnipotence of God and at the same time makes them diligent in their calling. Section 10 Meditation Continued Fifteenth, though human life is beset with innumerable evils, the righteous, trusting to divine providence, feel perfectly secure. Section 6 These calumnies, or rather frenzied dreams, will easily be dispelled by a pure and holy meditation on divine providence. Meditation such as piety enjoins, that we may thence derive the best and sweetest fruit. The Christian, then, being most fully persuaded that all things come to pass by the dispensation of God, and that nothing happens fortuitously, will always direct his eye to him as the principal cause of events, at the same time paying due regard to inferior causes in their own place. Next, he will have no doubt that a special providence is awake for his preservation and will not suffer anything to happen that will not turn to his good and safety. But as its business is first with men and then with the other creatures, he will feel assured that the providence of God reigns over both. In regard to men, good as well as bad, he will acknowledge that their counsels, wishes, aims, and faculties are so under his hand that he has full power to turn them in whatever direction and constrain them as often as he pleases. The fact that a special providence watches over the safety of believers is attested by a vast number of the clearest promises. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved." Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He that toucheth you, toucheth the apple of mine eye. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Can a woman forget her sucking child, as she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Nay, the chief aim of the historical books of Scripture is to show that the ways of his saints are so carefully guarded by the Lord as to prevent them even from dashing their foot against a stone. Therefore, as we a little ago justly exploded the opinion of those who feign a universal providence which does not condescend to take special care of every creature, so it is of the highest moment that we should specially recognize this care towards ourselves, Hence our Savior, after declaring that even a sparrow falls not to the ground without the will of his Father, immediately makes the application that being more valuable than many sparrows, we ought to consider that God provides more carefully for us. He even extends this so far as to assure us that the hairs of our head are all numbered. What more can we wish if not even a hair of our head can fall, save in accordance with his will? I speak not merely of the human race in general. God having chosen the church for his abode, there cannot be a doubt that in governing it, he gives singular manifestations of his paternal care. Section 7. The servant of God, being confirmed by these promises and examples, will add the passages which teach that all men are under his power, whether to conciliate their minds or to curb their wickedness and prevent it from doing harm. For it is the Lord who gives us favor, not only with those who wish us well, but also in the eyes of the Egyptians, Exodus 3.21, in various ways defeating the malice of our enemies. Sometimes he deprives them of all presence of mind so that they cannot undertake anything soundly or soberly. In this ways he sends Satan to be a lie in the mouths of all the prophets in order to deceive Ahab, 1 Kings 22.22, by the counsel of the young men, he so infatuates Rehoboam that his folly deprives him of his kingdom, 1 Kings 12:10 and 15. Sometimes when he leaves them in possession of intellect, he so fills them with terror and dismays that they can neither will nor plan the execution of what they had designed. Sometimes, too, after permitting them to attempt what lust and rage suggested, he opportunely interrupts them in their career and allows them not to conclude what they had begun, thus the counsel of Ahithophel, which would have been fatal to David, was defeated before its time. Second Samuel seventeen seven, and fourteen. Thus for the good and safety of his people, he overrules all the creatures, even the devil himself, who we see durst not attempt anything against Job without his permission and command. This knowledge is necessarily followed by gratitude and prosperity, patience in adversity, and incredible security. For the time to come, everything, therefore, which turns out prosperous and according to his wish, the Christian will ascribe entirely to God, whether he has experienced his beneficence through the instrumentality of men or been aided by inanimate creatures. For he will thus consider with himself Certainly it was the Lord that disposed the minds of these people in my favor, attaching them to me so as to make them the instruments of his kindness. In an abundant harvest he will think that it is the Lord who listens to the heaven, that the heaven may listen to the earth, and the earth herself to her own offspring. In other cases, he will have no doubt that he owes all his prosperity to the divine blessing, and, admonished by so many circumstances, will feel it impossible to be ungrateful. Section 8 If anything adverse befalls him, he will forthwith raise his mind to God, whose hand is most effectual in impressing us with patience and placid moderation of mind. Had Joseph kept his thoughts fixed on the treachery of his brethren, he never could have resumed fraternal affection for them. But turning toward the Lord, he forgot the injury and was so inclined to mildness and mercy that he even voluntarily comforts his brethren telling them, Be not grieved nor angry with yourselves, that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. As for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. Genesis 45, 5, 50, 20. Had Job turned to the Chaldees, by whom he was plundered, he should instantly have been fired with revenge. But recognizing the work of the Lord, he solaces himself with this most beautiful sentiment. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job one twenty one. So when David was assailed by Shimei with stones and curses, had he immediately fixed his eyes on the man, he would have urged his people to retaliate the injury. But perceiving that he acts not without an impulse from the Lord, he rather calms them. So let him curse, says he, because the Lord has said unto him, Curse David. With the same bridle he elsewhere curbs the excess of his grief. I was dumb, I opened not my mouth, because thou didst it. Psalm thirty-nine, nine. If there is no more effectual remedy for anger and impatience, he assuredly has not made little progress, who has learned so to meditate on divine providence, as to be able always to bring his mind to this. The Lord willed it. It must therefore be born, not only because it is unlawful to strive with him, but because he wills nothing that is not just and befitting. The whole comes to this. When unjustly assailed by men, overlooking their malice, which could only aggravate our grief and wet our minds for vengeance, let us remember to ascend to God and learn to hold it for certain that whatever an enemy wickedly committed against us was permitted and sent by his righteous dispensation. Paul, in order to suppress our desire to retaliate injuries, wisely reminds us that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with our spiritual enemy, the devil, that we may prepare for the contest, Ephesians 6.12. But to calm all the impulses of passion, the most useful consideration is that God arms the devil, as well as all the wicked, for conflict and sits as umpire, that he may exercise our patience. But if the disasters and miseries which press us happen without the agency of men, let us call to mind the doctrine of the law. Deuteronomy 28, one, that all prosperity has its source in the blessing of God, that all adversity is his curse, and let us tremble at the dreadful denunciation. And if ye will not be reformed by these things, but will walk contrary unto me, then will I also walk contrary unto you. Leviticus 26.23 and 24. These words condemn our torpor when, according to our carnal sense, Deeming that whatever happens in any way is fortuitous, we are neither animated by the kindness of God to worship him nor by his scourge stimulated to repentance and It is for this reason that Jeremiah in lamentations three thirty eight and Amos in Amos three six expostulated bitterly with the Jews for not believing that good as well as evil was produced by the command of God. to the same effect are the words in Isaiah: "I form the light and create darkness." I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Isaiah 45, verse 7. Section 9. At the same time, the Christian will not overlook inferior causes. For while he regards those by whom he is benefited as ministers of the divine goodness, he will not therefore pass them by, as if their kindness deserved no gratitude. But feeling sincerely obliged to them, Will willingly confess the obligation and endeavor according to his ability to return it. In fine, in the blessings which he receives, he will revere and extol God as the principal author, but will also honor men as his ministers and perceive, as is the truth, that by the will of God he is under obligation to those by whose hand God has been pleased to show him kindness. If he sustains any loss through negligence or imprudence, He will indeed believe that it was the Lord's will it should be so, but at the same time he will impute it to himself. If one for whom it was his duty to care, but whom he has treated with neglect, is carried off by disease, although aware that the person had reached a limit beyond which it was impossible to pass, he will not, therefore, extenuate his fault, but as he had neglected to do his duty faithfully towards him, will feel as if he had perished by his guilty negligence. Far less where, in the case of theft or murder, fraud and preconceived malice have existed, will he palliate it under the pretext of divine providence. But in the same crime will distinctly recognize the justice of God and the iniquity of man, as each is separately manifested. But in future events, especially, will he take account of such inferior causes, if he is not left destitute of human aid, which he can employ for his safety, he will set it down as a divine blessing. But he will not, therefore, be remiss in taking measures or slow in employing the help of those whom he sees possessed of the means of assisting him. Regarding all the aids which the creatures can lend him, as hands offered him by the Lord, he will avail himself of them as the legitimate instruments of divine providence. And as he is uncertain what the result of any business in which he engages is to be, save that he knows that in all things the Lord will provide for his good. He will zealously aim at what he deems for the best, so far as his abilities enable him. In adopting his measures, he will not be carried away by his own impressions, but will commit and resign himself to the wisdom of God, that under his guidance he may be led into the right path. However, his confidence in external aid will not be such that the presence of it will make him feel secure, The absence of it fill him with dismay, as if he were destitute. His mind will always be fixed on the providence of God alone, and no consideration of present circumstances will be allowed to withdraw him from the steady contemplation of it. Thus Joab, while he acknowledges that the issue of the battle is entirely in the hand of God, does not therefore become inactive, but strenuously proceeds with what belongs to his proper calling. Be of good courage, says he, and let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God, and the Lord do that which seemeth him good. Second Samuel 10.12 The same conviction, keeping us free from rashness and false confidence, will stimulate us to constant prayer, while at the same time filling our minds with good hope. It will enable us to feel secure and bid defiance to all the dangers by which we are surrounded. Section 10 Here we are forcibly reminded of the inestimable felicity of a pious mind. Innumerable are the ills which beset human life, and present death in as many different forms. Not to go beyond ourselves, since the body is a receptacle, nay the nurse, of a thousand diseases. A man cannot move without carrying along with him many forms of destruction. His life is in a manner interwoven with death. For what else can be said where heat and cold bring equal danger? Then in what direction, soever you turn, all surrounding objects not only may do harm, but also openly threaten and seem to present immediate death. Go on board a ship. You are but a plank's breath from death. Mount a horse. The stumbling of a foot endangers your life. Walk along the streets. Every tile upon the roofs is a source of danger. If a sharp instrument is in your hand or that of a friend, the possible harm is manifest. All the savage beasts you see are so many beings armed for your destruction. Even within a high-walled garden, where everything ministers to delight, a serpent will sometimes lurk. Your house, constantly exposed to fire, threatens you with poverty by day, with destruction by night. Your field, subject to hail, mildew, drought, and other injuries, denounce barrenness, and thereby famine. I say nothing of poison, treachery, robbery, some of which beset us at home, others follow us abroad. Amid these perils must not man be very miserable, as one who, more dead than alive, with difficulty draws an anxious and feeble breath, just as if a drawn sword were constantly suspended over his neck? It may be said that these things happen seldom, at least not always, or to all, certainly never all at once. I admit it, but since we are reminded by the example of others, that they may also happen to us, and that our life is not an exception any more than theirs. It is impossible not to fear and dread as if they were to befall us. What can you imagine more grievous than such trepidation? Add that there is something like an insult to God when it is said that man, the noblest of the creatures, stands exposed to every blind and random stroke of fortune. Here, however, we were only referring to the misery which man should feel were he placed under the dominion of chance.